You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Of submission. And I do want to emphasize submission, the word submission, when somebody hears that word, it almost has a negative connotation. Why? Because we don't truly understand what that means. Submission is truly important to understand in light of God's word. So it applies to every one of us as Christians. Husbands, wives, children, employees, employers, and Paul gives a very good exposition of this in Ephesians chapter 5. So that's where we're going to be going this morning. And we're going to begin uh, looking at this text, which we'll be addressing in verses 22 through 24. But before we begin, I want to open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the privilege of gathering together and being able to examine your word, to find out uh, what your word says about life and how we should respond to your word. So I give you praise this morning, Lord, for who you are and what you've revealed to us, but most of all, because what you have provided through your Son and who you provided through your Son. We thank you for your mercy and grace. And I ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would give us illumination, understanding as to these principles of relationship with submission and authority. I just thank you and praise you and ask that you guide us now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So as we're looking at this this morning, we want to consider what God's divine order is in life, as well as the family. Um, I had the privilege of being able to talk to some of the youth before I left, and I want to try to make this as applicable as I can to all of us, because We have to understand something here. The Christian life is not just coming to church on Sunday, having a time of praise and worship and listening to the word. It's being able to incorporate God's word in our lives daily. And uh, it was a vivid reminder of that when I went down to visit our son and some of the uh, people I know down there are don't know the Lord, and I wanted to be a good testimony. And I found myself, uh, I guess, being very uh, jaundiced as I looked at uh, different scenarios and different people. But I was able to have a real compassion because I understand what a person's life is like apart from Christ and what a person's life is like when they're disobedient to Christ. 
So I was able to uh, talk to several individuals down there, which um, over the years I've been able to develop friendships with. And as I put that in perspective of our study, I was able to see that once we start pulling away from the truth of God's word, everything becomes diffused and confusing. So as we consider God's ordained roles of husband, wives, children, according to God's word, we know that he's given a perfect example and a perfect guide for us. It's not like God ordained marriage from Genesis and then left us like uh, some <clears throat> inventor who invents, say, a tool and then just uh, starts producing that tool and selling it without any directions. God ordained marriage back in Genesis at the time of creation. And along with marriage, God gives us precise guidelines. It's when we disobey his word or we don't understand his word. And I, I think that that's a big case with Christians. Oftentimes, when you say the word submit, people just recoil. And especially when we look at it in light of women, Submit to your husband. That brings up all kinds of confusing thoughts, mostly in the negative. But if we look at it in terms of what it truly means, it's a very positive and uplifting concept. So this morning I want to examine that in a more vivid way, in a more detailed way, and I want to try to have a greater understanding of how that applies to all of us. When we say submission, let me ask this question. Does submission alter the role or function of authority in any way? Or does it even uh, uh, conflict with authority? When you say, um, wives, submit to your husbands, servants, obey your masters, children, obey your parents, all those concepts are submission and authority. Does that have anything to do with abolishing the authority or the stature of the individual? Some of you are shaking your heads, no. You're right. It does not. It doesn't alter it at all. So I want you to understand something here. When God calls us to submission one to another, Submitting is simply laying down our own will for the betterment of the other. It's this principle of Philippians 2, considering others as more important than yourself. That's what true submission is. It doesn't advocate the authoritative role of the male, but it does exercise that authority in complete, honest, and comprehensive love if it's carried out in the proper way. So as we look at this concept of submission, we look at it in terms of the husband submitting to the wife. Well, how does that play out? We had a question about that the last Sunday that we 
discussed it. And I don't feel that I gave a very comprehensive answer to that. Submitting, the husband submitting to his wife is not abdicating his role of authority in the household, or headship. Not at all. It is being able to relinquish whatever rights that we have as an individual or as a husband or a man to the betterment of our spouses. Or in a case of <clears throat> mutual submission, children, youth. When you submit to your parents, uh, your parents are also to be submitting to you. So how does that work? Does that mean that the, the children dictate to the parents their desires and that should be carried out by parents? Parents are going, no. <laughs> no, that's true. But a parent submitting to their children's needs is that of thinking of the betterment. What is the best they can do to nurture their children, to raise them up, to protect them, and how can they do so sacrificially? When a husband submits to his wife, it's an act of total, complete love. It isn't that he's giving up his role of headship or authority. It is a sacrificial love that he's exhibiting in his relationship with his wife. So as we consider here submission for the wife, I want to consider the things that submission is not, before we look at what it is. <clears throat> submission is not where the wife becomes a slave. Oftentimes, uh, when someone reads the text like this, and I find it interesting, when we come across unbelievers sometimes that seem to know certain parts of the Bible, doesn't it amaze you? what parts they seem to know, though they don't really comprehend it. They seem to know that wives have to submit to their husbands. They know that. And they know certain portions of 1 Corinthians 7. So they seem to have these, or at least some comprehension of these truths, and try to apply those in a forceful way. That's not at all what it means. It doesn't mean a wife becomes slave to the husband. So that's a misnomer or a misconcept. Submission does not mean the wife never opens her mouth, never discusses anything. Quite the contrary. A wife is given to the husband for what? Completion of? For companionship? So part of the aspect of a marriage relationship or any relationship is that of communication. So if we don't communicate with one another, how are we to build that relationship? How can we have a relationship even with the Lord if we're not communicating with them? If we say we have a relationship with God, we love God, and don't have any communication, how shallow is that relationship? It's superficial. And I saw some of that when I went to visit this church, which was a very good expositional church. But I saw a sense of, mm, I don't want to be, uh, superficiality in some of the aspects of some of the individuals 
that I met. And it was almost like a lack of genuine relationship, but there was a superficial spirituality. And I don't want to be judgmental or try to, because I'm just observing. But what I'm saying is a relationship requires communication. So for a husband and a wife, the wife should be able to communicate to her husband her needs, her desires, and be supportive in the same way to her husband. In the same way, the husband needs to be understanding of his wife, live with her in an understanding way. That's a broad concept, but it's very specific in 1 Peter 3.7. So we have to understand that a wife being submissive to her husband, she isn't becoming a slave and she's not silent. She's there to build him up, to encourage him, to complete him, and for him to support, love, provide, and encourage as well. It is a union of two hearts in Christ to glorify the Lord. Submission does not mean that the wife is inferior to her husband. As we look at the life of Christ in the Gospels, it says that he continued in subjection to them as a child. We look at that in Luke chapter 2, verse 51. As the Lord was growing up in his incarnate state, his missionary, or his uh, life here on earth, he grew up in submission to his parents, but yet still stayed within the will of the Father. He was always in submission to the will of the Father. So did that lessen his deity? Not at all. Did it lessen who he was because he was in submission to his parents, even at a young age? No. He was still Almighty God. He is Almighty God. And he reflected that godliness by godly submission. Perfect submission. The wife's submission does not mean that um, she is somehow lacking in intelligence or lacking in some kind of talent or skill or in spirituality. Oftentimes, many times, uh, the wife in the family is the stability of spirituality. Sad to say, many times we as men fail to be the leaders that we should be in the home. Not just having the cognitive knowledge of the word, but living that out in our lives. And the sad result of that is disillusionment and the breakdown of the marriage relationship. So we have to understand that the role of submission from the wife is that of a freedom. So let's look at what Paul says in Ephesians 5, starting with verse 22. But before we go there, let's back up. Because we have to go to verse 18. Now, 
Let me say something in preface to these ordinances and commands that we have from Paul. Paul gives commands to the husband, the wives, the children, the slaves, the masters. Here in Ephesians, he gives them in Colossians 3. And then Peter, in 1 Peter 3, gives also the same commands to wife and husband. Now, let me ask this question. If a person unregenerate were to apply these truths as well as they could, would it bring a better relationship in marriage or in friendship? Excellent. Did you hear what Ron said? Yes, as long as they understood the true role and function of submission. Now, we have to understand that the unregenerate person, somewhat powerless. They can look at these principles. They may not understand them fully, but if they applied them to the best of their ability, there'd still be changes, positive changes. But look how Paul sets this up, because he's going to look at and evaluate and instruct about submission and authority to one another, verse 21, then wives to their husbands, verses 22 through 24, then husbands to their wives, verses 25 through 33, then in chapter 6, children to their parents in the first few verses, then slaves and masters in the other part of chapter 6. So look at all these roles. So if we're here this morning... And we're not just addressing wives. We're addressing everyone in the Christian community. Single individuals, youth, parents, grandparents, widows. We all have the same mandate. That is that we're to submit one to another as unto the Lord. Let's look at it. Verse 18. Be not drunk with wine, in which is a dissipation, But be filled with the Spirit. Here's the key right here. When we're trying to apply these truths, we cannot do so if we're not filled with the Spirit. You understand that? This is not just an academic uh, instruction here. This is spiritual guidance, which is spiritually empowered by God. We cannot do so. We cannot obey these imperatives apart from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes in Christendom, people try to live out these biblical standards and they try to do so in the power of their own flesh. It's impossible. We cannot do it. We don't have the power. Ron. Right. Good connection. As we look at these principles of authority and submission, there's connective roles between each entity that Paul talks about. The man is subject and 
uh, under the authority of Christ. So is the woman. Uh, the children under the authority of the parents, but both of them are under the authority of God. The master or boss or employer is in authority over the slave or employee, but is still under subjection to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to understand this authoritative role is all comprehensive in Christianity. But it starts with being filled with the Spirit. And let's go down to verse 21. In verse 21, it says, um, now let's go with 20 first. Giving thanks always in all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So this command or this imperative from Scripture is that we should do this submission. It's an imperative. By the way, this isn't a perfect present tense, so it's ongoing. It isn't in the aorist tense where you one time have submitted. This is in the ongoing present tense in the Greek. So as we think of submission, hupatazo, that is an ongoing submission. We are being submission to the Lord. That's how Paul summarizes it in verse 21. In the fear of the Lord, and we're in submission to one another. That is, I'm always thinking, or I should be, thinking of the betterment of the other. Whether it's a friend, a relationship, a spouse, a family member, child, grandchild, it should be my desire to submit my desires for the betterment of that individual. That's what true, godly, biblical submission means. It doesn't conflict with authority at all. It's just the proper biblical way to carry out that authority. You remember in the Gospels when Christ would try to admonish the disciples? They would always argue about who is the greater. <clears throat> or the Pharisees would put on this facade and God rebuked them severely. But even, even at the Last Supper, they were arguing over who is the greatest. And yet Christ gave them the ultimate example when he washed their feet. Creator God, incarnate, washed the feet of the disciples. He set the perfect example of submission, but did not relinquish his deity or who he was. That's the perfect example for us. As we think of, in our society, the one who gets the most is the one that's most aggressive. And oftentimes in our society, when even in Christendom, men look at this text in verse 22 and see wives submit to your husbands. By the way, the word submit there was not in the original text, but it's implied from verse 21. And it's also given again in Colossians 3.18 and 1 Peter 3.1. So it is a, a command, an imperative for the wife. But who's this directed to? 
Look at the text. As we study scripture, we have to understand God is very specific in his word. If I were to go out to the mailbox, and we've got about six or seven of them, um, <clears throat> if I get my mail and I look down and I see all these other boxes and go, well, I wonder what they're doing. Start opening their mail. That's not only a criminal offense, but it's a federal offense. I have no right to look at someone else's mail. I have no right to look at how their bills are, who they're buying from, or any of those things. In Scripture, God is very specific. Here, Paul is addressing whom in verse 22? Wives. This is not for the husband to try to carry out somehow forcefully to make his wife submit. There's no directive here to the husband at all. Not until we get to verse 25, and then it's very clear the husband's role. So here, Paul is addressing the wives, strictly to the wives. You young women or women that are single and are thinking some time of marriage, think carefully about this. And let me ask you a question. If a young woman or a woman of any age is engaged, should she be submissive to her fiancé? Is this a call for that? Okay, I'm getting different. Husbands. Anyone disagree with that? Carol. I think it's kind of like a prerequisite type of thing where if you're planning to marry this person, you're promising to marry them, and I think it starts at the engagement because even in biblical time period, engagement meant that they were one. Okay. And that's true. And what Carol said here for the purpose of the recording, Carol said in the engagement in the times of the New Testament, it was the practice of them actually being lawfully committed to one another. But actually here, Paul is talking to wives, not to fiancés. Not to those promised. So as we think of a young woman or a woman engaged or in a process of committing their lives to marriage, they're not yet under this mandate. Now, yeah, we should be submitted one to another in that standpoint of a Christian. But here, it's not talking about a fiancé. Think about this, ladies. Yes. Good point. 
what Jamie said is when there's a long engagement, sometimes uh, the... Oh. She graduated with my son, too. I can't believe this. What Lisa just said, I'm sorry. I'm, I just got back from California. What Lisa just said is a very important fact or consideration, I should say. When there's a long engagement, that brings into play a whole myriad of potential dangers for both the the male and the female. First of all, it's going to put them in a place of their hearts are committed to one another and there's a love for one another. There's a desire to be together with one another. So there's also going to be a temptation morally to make a compromise. So biblically, I would never encourage a long engagement unless they're separated by time and space and communicate by mail, which we know there's been several very successful marriages that way. Ron. Can you explain the difference between that tension between, say, uh, what's the difference between the the submission between a wife and husband and and two Christians? Okay, good point. The question here is, what is the distinction made between Verse 21, submit yourselves one to another. And verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands. The distinction could be made like this. Submitting one to another, we are still considering the other before ourselves. Wives submitting to their husbands is a complete, well, I've got a, I can't use that word complete because we're going to look at something in a little bit here. It is a a fairly exhaustive, comprehensive submission. And I say fairly, and I'm qualifying this because I want to look at some areas where the husband is requiring or asking or requesting a wife to do something that would be unbiblical. And that's where a wife does not submit to her husband because she's submitting unto the Lord. But as far as the commitment to submission, she has totally separated herself to her husband. She is committed to him in all ways, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. That commitment and submission is comprehensive. Whereas we're submitting one to another, I would submit to your betterment, but I'm not going to submit myself in a, an emotional way, well, maybe not that one. Um, I'm not going to submit myself in the same way that I would to my spouse because there is a oneness in marriage and uh, a relational a relationship by covenant that is distinctly and uniquely designed in a different way than our relationship with one another. So the submission of a wife to her husband is that of complete yielding to him, physically, emotionally, spiritually. We don't do that necessarily in our relationships with one another, nor should we. But we should be submitted to one another in a way that would honor, edify, and be the betterment of thinking of others more important than ourselves. Does that make the distinction for you, or is that clear enough? It does, except that 
except for the physical submission. I, I didn't catch that. Except for the physical submission between a husband and wife, I, I think in a perfect world, the Christians would be submitting to one another in all those things. Yeah, they would be, with the exception of the the physical union, the commitment emotionally to that spouse, and the commitment of fidelity to that spouse, we can commit ourselves one to another, or submit ourselves one to another, and our relationship should be unconditional love as Christians, but it's not the same union as a marriage, and it's not the same commitment. Dave? Yes. Yeah. That's very important that we understand. Verse 21 is, is talking about all relationships. It could be with youth to adults. It could be man to man, woman to woman. That's in submission to one another in all relationships. So we have to understand that. Carol. Okay, what Carol is asking here is to try to give a, an example, and I'm not really good at the top of my head. I'm not a quick thinker. Um, <clears throat> say, for instance, Lanny and I were, uh, how would I submit to Lanny in the sense of thinking of him as more important than myself? Say, for instance, that Lanny was trying to uh, perform some task, uh, say a physical task. He used to be a cabinet maker, so he's trying to, I'm going to use the work relationship, uh, trying to accomplish a task physically that would impair him or even threaten his injury. So I come along and say I can do something that I know that would be impairing or possibility of hurting him, and I say, Lanny, I, I want you to know that you shouldn't do this, and I want to help you with this, so I'm going to come alongside you here and help you. And he goes, I don't need your help. And I go, well, let me explain why. So I'm going to show, exercise my concern, care, love for Lanny by coming alongside him and being able to embrace that and say that I see him at the same time in conflict with Carol saying, okay, Carol, I'm going to do this. Wait a minute, Landy, I don't want you to end up back in the hospital. You say, well, you don't tell me what to do. I'm the authority in the house. So if I'm his friend, then I can come alongside him and yet be submissive to him as a brother and yet lovingly correct him. It would be my place to do so. And uh, how that distinction would be made between a spouse and in that role of submission, it would be the same thing as, as Ron said. We carry out this in the same way, only the relationship is different. Uh, 
because of the intimacy. Peggy. Right. That's a very important point. What Peggy just pointed out here is uh, oftentimes in a Christian relationship, brother, sister, brother, brother, sister, sister, youth, adult, when we see somebody, a brother or sister that's perhaps going astray or being disobedient, it would be imperative for us to carry out the function of Galatians 6.1. If you see a brother and a snare, you who are spiritual, go uh, minister to that brother. Um, so we have to understand that this comes out in many forms. What Peggy was using it in was in a context of when we correct a brother or sister or uh, another Christian, their role in submission is to be submitted, first of all, to the Lord and then be back in submission to God's word and respond to that correction or reproof. That would be a loving correction and a loving response in submission to the correction. Okay, I want to get back to the aspect of engagement. We got off here a little bit. You women who are thinking of some point in marriage, think about the context of this text. Submitting to your husband. Now, I want to say something here. Paul in this text does not give any qualifications. In other words, he's not saying submit to your husband if he's a spiritual leader if he's intelligent, if he's been a good husband, he doesn't give any qualifications here. What we have seen in Christendom as well as the world, marriage breaks down when we don't understand or we don't apply these truths to our relationships. It's going to go sideways. God gives us specific imperatives for relationships. So as you think about a potential spouse, ladies, think about this. For the rest of your life, you're going to be submissive to that one man. It's not a Hollywood relationship where they change spouses every with every whim or every movie that they do. Christian marriage is until death do you part. It's a monogamous relationship. One man, one woman, until death do you part. So as we consider this, and you think about, well, this guy is sure, you know, he may, this may be a possibility. Think about this individual 
Look at them in light of Scripture. Young men, when you're looking at uh, potential for a mate at some time, it isn't just the physical attraction that you have to be aware of, because that's easy. All, there's, that's always in the realm of a man's thinking. But as you consider a spouse, consider what your role is here in light of Ephesians 5. Loving that individual, loving that wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. Pretty serious. Oftentimes, and not just in teens, but men uh, will be attracted to a woman or a Youth will be attracted to a young lady, and they kind of get blindsided. They don't think of the spiritual qualifications. I came across this right face-to-face to face when I was down in California with a friend of ours. And the husband, we became friends over the years, just a handsome guy, I hate to say this, but he was a real... Tall, handsome, white teeth and hair and all that stuff. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and he was, uh, he was kind of a hero in the sheriff's department. Bomb squad and, you know, he was real athletic. Well, there was an attraction physically for the wife to the husband and claimed to be a Christian. She's a Christian. As it turned out, he really wasn't a committed Christian. And as it turned out, the marriage went in a bad way, and it's ending at this point. The point here, youth, is when you consider a relationship, it's not a temporal relationship. We grow older, it doesn't change the commitment. It isn't based on physical attraction. It's based on God's Mandate. So as you consider a spouse, consider them in a biblical way. And I encourage you to study out what does that mean, a biblical qualification. Well, have your parents help you with that. What is a biblical qualification of a spouse? What should they be before a Christian should consider marrying another individual that's a Christian? What is their qualification? You need to know that, and you need to look for that. And it just doesn't happen in a two-month period. You have to be able to observe that individual, observe their character, and how your parents observe that character to be able to make that determination. And even then, you not may not know all that you can, but you need to find out everything you can about an individual before you set your heart on that individual. Don't be lured by the physical allurement. That is a trap of Satan. What was it in the garden that uh, caused Eve to disobey, to rebel? What was the first thing that she saw? That the fruit looked good. The very fruit that God had prohibited. Guys, Youth, as we consider, we're living in a society where 
the physical is appealed to for everything. For advertisements, for selling, uh, in every way we're being bombarded in the fleshly realm. So we have to understand something. As you wrestle with the struggles of youth, you have to understand that the physical allurement, you should have a physical attraction to the person you're going to marry, but that's not all. In fact, that's the lesser of what a man or a woman should look for in a potential spouse. That should be the least consideration. I know that goes contrary to our societal practice and philosophy, but biblically, it should be the adornment of their heart. The way that they exhibit Christ in their lives. Now, I don't want you to look at that as some spiritualizing of a concept because that's a biblical concept. When Paul's addressing the women or the wives, he's telling them not just to put on the outward adornment, but it's the hidden adornment of their life in Christ that is to be brought forth. So you have to understand something. We wrestle as individuals, males, you have to be guarded in your heart. Flee youthful lust. If you don't and you get an attraction for somebody, then the gradual process will be that you'll be unguarded in your heart. That's why Solomon could say in Proverbs 4, guard your heart above all else, for out of it is the abundance of life. We have to guard our hearts. So think about that in terms of the mandate for husband and for wife. Do you want to be submitted to a man for your entire life? Is this the individual? Maybe it is, but you better be sure. Do you want to be loving your wife as Christ loved the church for your entire life? Is she the one? Better make sure. Maybe she is. But you want to examine that in light of God's word. It's a long time commitment. It's for life until death do you part. Okay. So what about how extensive is the wife's submission to the husband? It's very comprehensive. Uh, Paul says, the wives are to be subject to their husbands and everything in another text. <clears throat> Submission is not an on-again, off-again thing for the wife. Submission is to be in her lifestyle at all times. Now, let me make a qualification here. And I want you to listen carefully. This does not mean that a wife should obey her husband when he calls her or commands her or asks a request of her something that God forbids. Never is a wife to submit in that condition. Um, <clears throat> I was asked at one point, I went to this uh, conference about um, was Christian counseling. It was about abusive marriages. And I was asked, well, what do you think? Uh, should a wife submit when a husband is physically abusive? And I said, well, I would call the authorities. That's what I would do. And they said, well, 
what about scripture? You, you know, you're saying that a wife should submit to her husband. I said, that's true. But nowhere in scripture is a, a wife called to be tortured or physically hurt by their husband. And there's civil laws to protect against that. So we have to understand the wife's submission is comprehensive, but it's not exhaustive. And I say that only because you have to understand that when a husband is disobedient to the word, God gives the woman a role and a function of submission and explains that she can win her husband even without a word by her submission and her godly behavior. If in that state the husband requests or tries to require something of the wife, a wife can respond lovingly. She can say, you know, I can't do this. Whether it's a husband asking him to cheat on the taxes or do something that would be violation of God's word in any way, all she has to do is lovingly say, no, I can't do that. She's still being submissive unto the Lord. So that's the qualification that we have to understand when it comes to wives' submission. As we examine the spiritual requirements of man's and woman's submission one to another, we're all in that category. And it's all unto the Lord. Look at Paul says in the, in the rest of this text here. <clears throat> Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. There it is. It's very clear. As we understand how that works out, that submission and that role of authority doesn't change the equality of man and woman. We're all one in Christ. But there is a distinction made in the function of man and woman. Man is given the role of authority over woman. 1 Corinthians 11.3, if you want to verify that. We looked at that several weeks ago. God's ordained design and function of submission and authority is given for the purpose of glorifying Him. As we look at this role of submission, it shouldn't be a, an objective thing. I shouldn't mind submitting my own personal desires to my wife, as long it's going to honor, as long as it will honor God and edify her and build her up. That is my responsibility. In the same way, a wife can come alongside her husband and be an encouragement. She can be a fulfillment of, completion of her husband, and yet still be in full submission to the Lord. There's great freedom in that. Women consider that as a bondage? Not at all. It's absolute freedom. Why? Because it's God-ordained. God's called us all to this submission, one to another. Wives, you can experience perfect, complete freedom as you submit unto the Lord and submit to your husband.
That's what God's ordained method is. Now, because of the abuses and the misunderstanding and misapplications of these truths about submission and authority, many women have recoiled. But you have to understand what the true meaning of this is and how it is carried out by God's design. When we disregard that, there's going to be contention. And we looked at this several weeks ago. At the fall, the woman is part of the curse. Her desire would be what? To control her husband. Man, as a result of the fall, was trying to rule over his wife. So we have this battle initiated at the fall. Genesis 3. The solution is in Christ. That's why I say the unregenerate can try to practice these things, but they don't have the ability to do so. They can apply some of it, but they don't have the empowerment that we do as Christians. When we understand the freedom that we have in submission, I mean, this has transformed my thinking as I even are learning this over again, how we should be submissive to one another and how that authoritative role is carried out in a godly way by being submissive one to another. It doesn't take away the authoritative structure at all. It enhances it and it actually brings it to a place where you can experience the true fulfillment that God has designed in the ordinance of marriage. So we have principles, God-given, by the Almighty God, who is all wisdom. And as we look at those principles, we may have failed in them, we may have had things go sideways, but we know that God is able to do beyond whatever we consider we can do. Our trust is in Him. How do we build back? How do we begin to apply these truths? That starts with humility. Acknowledging before the Lord where we have failed. Desiring and appropriating His grace to apply these truths. To areas in our lives where those uh, <clears throat> relationships have broken down, we can still apply God's truth in every way of our life and depend on Him to build and rebuild the relationships as He's able. Any questions or comments? Now, I want to address the youth specifically here real quickly because we have to close. I, um, I want to be as... Uh, as explicit about Scripture as I can uh, to illuminate the role of husband and wives, children and parents, and I want this to also be applicable to your lives. I know that you may think some of this is uh, kind of, yeah, someday we'll be thinking about this, but these are truths. And believe me, if I had the opportunity, anyone who is thinking about getting married, I would require, if they were coming to me, to marry them, I would require at least 12 weeks of premarital counseling. What would I do in that 12 weeks? What I'm doing right here. I want them to understand God's mandate for marriage. So at least they have a better foundation to know what God has called us to 
and what he's ordained for this relationship. Because as Christians, many of us don't know these things. They're there. But have we ever bothered to exegete these passages? Have we ever really appropriated these truths in a way that's transforming our lives? This is why we have to know God's Word and apply it. This isn't just academic. This is the essence of our lives. Let's close. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.